they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Praise Yahweh and pass the ammunition. The Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James. Welcome, Christian Israel. Tonight's topic on Restoration Hour here at Eurofolk Radio is the Cain Satanic Seed Line, the article done by Bertrand L. Compare, and this is from Israelect.com, and that's spelled I-S-R-A-L-E-C-T dot com, forward slash Church of True Israel, and uh, you can search for the Compare Cain uh, Satan dot HTML, okay, so, but you can find this, uh, by an easy search online, the Cain Satanic Seed Line by Bertrand L. Compare. Though several sites host this article by Bertrand, and this is actually one of the earliest two seed line uh, arguments on record. Okay, I'm not sure if Compare and Swift got this idea from Gerald L. K. Smith or other earlier identity pastors. Uh, it'd be a, an interesting study as to where the, the two seed line doctrine originated. But uh, Swift and Compare are the ones who get the, the most credit for doing that. So let's get started here. Uh, and this is the Cain slash Satanic Seed Line by Pastor Bertrand L. Compare. A.B.J.D., I think he was a member of the bar, and he was uh, one of the legal representatives of the city of San Diego. So he was uh, pretty well established as a lawyer and uh, was an excellent Bible scholar at the same time. Let's continue here. It has been brought to my attention many times that there are preachers and teachers in the world who don't recognize there are literal children of Satan surviving in the world today. Since this is one of the central themes of the Bible, the fight for supremacy between the children of Yahweh and the children of Lucifer, I wonder what Bible these preachers and teachers are reading and studying. That's because they don't want to take Genesis 3, 14, and 15 literally. They want to euphemize it. Euthanasia. <laughs> no, euthanasia and euphemisms are two different things. But uh, but they kill. Either way, it kills the real deal. Okay? It kills the real meaning. In these studies, we will be using the proper name of our God, which is Yahweh and Yahshua for Christ. For documentation, read, Who is your God? The battle lines are drawn by Yahweh in Genesis 3.15, where he states he is going to put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And the word seed there is Zerah, which means offspring. It means offspring in the literal sense. 
I'm not aware that the word zera in scripture is ever used in a figurative sense. I think it's always used literally in the sense of offspring, children, uh, you know, and, uh, and not ancestors, uh, descendants, that's the word I'm looking for, descendants. And the, the lines are uh, enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And of course, we know that serp, the word serpent is from Nachash, which can mean a two-legged type creature, fallen angel, uh, anything you want, uh, a very intelligent creature on two legs. No doubt about it, it was two legs. Let's start at the beginning. Of course, Satan wasn't a serpent. The entity that deceived and seduced Eve wasn't a scaly thing wriggling along on the ground. It may still have been a scaly thing, although uh, if it was a scaly thing, Eve would not have been attracted to it, for sure. Serpent was translated from the word nahash, which means enchanter or magician, a fallen angel still retaining a lot of his angelic powers. No doubt could be very much of an enchanter or magician. Lucifer's children, and I do mean children, not just followers, through the centuries used a serpent as a symbol or emblem of their ancestor until they attached a secondary meaning of a serpent to the word Nachash. In Genesis 3, 1 through 3, Satan said to Eve, Is it really true that Yahweh said you can't eat of any tree in the garden? Unquote. As it reads in the Hebrew, Eve replied to Satan, And the woman said unto the enchanter, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, unquote. Now I'm going to switch to the King James translation, and I will correct it as I go. Quote, of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die, unquote. Let's see what it actually said in the Hebrew. Fruit is the Hebrew word pircha, and let me spell it for you. It's P-I-R-C-H-A-C-H. Pichach, meaning progeny, brood, children, or descendants. Do you talk about the children of a walnut tree or an apple tree? Of course you don't. Well, I guess I guess non-seed liners would like to. <laughs> of the Pichach, of the descendants of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, Yahweh has said, quote, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. That word touch is the Hebrew word naga. By the way, naga is a Sanskrit word for uh, fallen ones. And a naga is also a root word for nakedness in many, many languages. So, I mean, the, the word association suggests that Eve got naked with a fallen one. Which is a more polite, well, actually she was already naked, right? Because they were naked but sinless. Which is a more polite expression meaning to have sexual intercourse with. Yeah, another euphemism. Do you need to be warned not to have sexual intercourse with an apple? <laughs> of course not. <laughs> it isn't that kind of a tree. And the tree means progeny, offspring, descendants, as he says. Whether it's a zera, Z-E-R-A-H, in the Hebrew, or Pichach. Yahweh had millions of the pre-Adamic, Asiatic, and African people around. If he just wanted somebody wide between the shoulders and narrow between the eyes to spade up the garden, he had them. 
He didn't have to create a special being for that purpose. Satan had been the governor of this planet until he forfeited the right to this position by rebellion. Yahweh sent Adam here, and it is recorded in Luke chapter 3 that Adam was the son of Yahweh. It doesn't record that about any of these pre-Adamic people mentioned in Genesis chapter 1. Adam was the son of Yahweh, and Yahweh sent Adam here to take over by force, kick Satan out, and govern this planet. The trees in the Garden of Eden were the family trees of nations and races. Now, I'm not sure you can assume that uh, Yahweh assigned this job to Adam to do it by force. I don't think it was necessary for him to do it by force, because if Adam and Eve had retained their Shekinah glory, their spirit bodies, then they would be indestructible and wouldn't have to worry about being harmed by other beings. The only way they could be harmed is to voluntarily give up their indestructibleness, indestructibility. And, uh, of course, that does, does not come up because, you know, what did they lose? When Yahweh breathed the breath of life into Adam in Genesis 2-7, he upscaled Adam's body to uh, a point where he would have been immortal had he not sinned. But we know he did sin, and so both Adam and Eve therefore fell. So let's continue. Adam and Eve weren't supposed to be intermingling with these people. If Negroes and Asiatics were all that Yahweh wanted, he already had them. What he created was a different and separate being who was to be a different sort of person whom the Negroes and Asiatics would never produce. The Hebrew word Adam, which we translate Adam, means of a rosy, fair complexion. Adam was the first person of a specifically created new race, or I like to put it this way, an upgraded uh, Caucasoid race, which the Adamites, pre-Adamites in Genesis 1 had never achieved until the man Adam was put into the garden. Adam and Eve were told to not mongrelize their race with these pre-Adamic people that were in the world. When you come to Genesis 3.13, Yahweh has called Adam, Eve, and Satan before him to give an accounting of their misdeeds. According to the King James Bible, Eve said, quote, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat thereof. Here again is the Hebrew word nachash, meaning enchanter. Then there is the use of the word beguiled. The Hebrew word there is nasha, which means seduced. Note, note how close the word nasha is to the word nachash. Beguiled means no more than deceived. Somebody who sells you some mining stock in a mine that doesn't have any good ore in it beguiles you. The word nasha means seduced. Not in any way or sense can it mean beguiled. Quote, And Yahweh said unto the woman, What is this thou hast done? And the woman said, The enchanter seduced me. This is what it says in the Hebrew, and Cain was the product of this seduction. In reply to Genesis 3.15, Yahweh says to Satan, quote, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, her offspring and your offspring. The same word Zerah was used for both the seed of Satan and the seed of Eve. Zerah literally means seed, 
it also means offspring descendants, it means descendants, there is no other meaning. It also could be used as grains of wheat, but it is used throughout the Bible as meaning the descendants of a person. Satan was to have just as literal children in this world as Eve was to have. The same word, Zerah, is used for Satan's seed and Eve's seed. That's correct. In re- the reply of the churchianity preachers is usually to quote Genesis 4.1, quote, And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. Notice that what is not said is more significant than what is said. The Bible nowhere says Adam begat Cain. As you have read in the Old Testament, the monotonous regularity with which it always says, so-and-so begat who's this, and who's this begat what's-his-name, and what's-his-name begat somebody else, and so on. It was important to know your ancestry in those days because you didn't get your citizenship from two box tops and a dime or a piece of paper you you get at the uh, Secretary of State. You got citizenship because your ancestors for over 20 generations were Israelites and no other way. And that's actually the way it still is. So Adam knew his wife and she conceived. I can tell you something and I can prove every bit of it by witnesses. I went to a movie one night and the next morning the sun rose in the east. I didn't say the one caused the other. (laughs) I said the two things happened. One happened first and the other happened second. I never said there were cause and effect. The Bible never says there was cause and effect here. If you want further proof of this, go right to Genesis chapter 5, where you will find the likeness after his image and called his name Seth. This child Adam begat was not named Cain, it was named Seth. And Seth was begotten in Adam's image, which Cain was not. The the satanic bloodline crept in through Cain, possibly earlier, among the pre-Adamic people. There were pre-Adamic people who were not necessarily satanic. There were some pre-Adamic people into whom the satanic bloodline came, and there were even some of the descendants of Adam who probably mongrelized. In fact, it is evident they did mix their bloodline for the fact that those living around Noah were wiped out by the flood. The Bible tells us that Noah was perfect in his ancestry, with no mongrelization. He and his family were the ones in the area that were still pure in their bloodlines. Absolutely, that's why it specifies that uh, it says Noah was perfect in his generations, generations being descendants, his, his bloodline. This is why the flood wiped out the mongrelized Adamites around Noah. As I documented in Noah's flood was not worldwide, this flood did not cover the whole earth as is falsely taught in the churches of today. The pure descendants of Adam multiplied and then you come to the fact of the satanic bloodline getting in there. Remember, Yahweh had announced his purpose. He was going to take back the world from Satan's domination. Yahweh was going to rule it according to his purposes. Now this uh, statement is not actually recorded in the Bible. It's recorded in the, the book of Jasher, the book of Enoch, and in other places. It's not specifically stated that Adam's purpose was to displace Nachash, you know, who would have been uh, Satan's representative standing before Eve. But it is true, as he says next here, he was going to rule the world through his children. 
through the pure descendants of Adam. And that, that obviously, was, because why? Well, the command to take dominion was given already in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, those uh, who are, in my opinion, the pre-Adamic white people, okay, the uh, otherwise known as Cro-Magnon, white people who were not upgraded like Adam was. So, but nevertheless, these white people were already given the commandment to have dominion over the world, and not the other races, only the Adamic, only, only Adam kind. And so this statement here is absolutely correct. He was going to rule the world through his children, through the pure descendants of Adam. Amen. What would be the obvious move on Satan's part to thwart this plan? The obvious thing to do would be to mongrelize the descendants of Adam. Then he could sneer in Yahweh's face and say, quote, These are my children, but where are yours? All these have my blood in them, unquote. This is exactly what Satan set out to do. And boy, he's done a good job. Although the fact is there are so many Adamites still in the world today who are unmixed that uh, Satan still does not know what to do with all of us. He's trying to kill us all with COVID right now. And that's his last-ditch effort to exterminate us. So let's continue here. The pure descendants of Adam multiplied, and then you come to the fact of this satanic bloodline getting in there. Okay, double, uh, all right, so Genesis 6-2 records, the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that is, Adamites, that they were fair, they had white skin, and they took them wives of all they chose. Now, the word wife here is used uh, advisedly. I don't think there was any marriage ceremony. You don't get the full significance of it in this translation. Quote, the sons of God, Ben Ha Elohim, also means sons of magistrates or mighty men of the earth and angels. A double race mixing took place here. Both the rulers of the pre-Adamic races and the fallen angels took wives of the fair Adamic women. Now, that's certainly possible, although uh, it only talks about the fallen ones uh, lusting after Adamic women. It is written with obvious disapproval. The male descendants of Adam were not allowed by Yahweh's law to marry anybody but the daughters descended from Adam. If they were marrying within their own racial line in this instance, it couldn't have been spoken of with disapproval. So the Beni Elohim are evidently those of the pre-Adamic darker races and the fallen angels who followed Satan into rebellion. Greater details of this event are found in the book of Enoch, yes. Go on to Genesis 6-4, where it is speaking of the same subject. Again, it is botched up in the King James Bible. Quote, There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, that of Adam kind, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old men, that is Enosh, not Adamites, of renown. Again, you have to know the source word of the word man as translated in the King James because there's six, seven, or eight different Hebrew words that are translated as man and no distinction is made among those so you never know who's an Adamite and who isn't. But uh, then Kampare says, this is what it says in the Hebrew, quote, There were Nephilim, the fallen ones, in the earth in those days. They were fallen angels. 
That is what the Bible calls them in so many places. Jude 1.6 records angels who had not kept their first estate, who had fallen from heaven and from their former powers. Quote, when the sons of God, and again it's the Beni Elohim, came in unto the daughters of Adam. So it's the same thing. Yeah, it's a, a, a episode of miscegenation from fallen beings with Adamic women. Here we have the spreading of the satanic bloodline. Genesis chapter 6 goes on to trace many of these descendants of the fallen angels. You find that all through Palestine, on both sides of the Jordan River, clear down through Mount Seir, the rugged mountain range southeast of the Dead Sea where Esau and his family lived, all through this area there are these various people with the satanic blood in them. There are two different places, one in Isaiah, the other in Ezekiel, where it speaks of what it calls a king or a prince. In the one case, it speaks of Babylon, in the other case of Tyre. Nevertheless, it speaks of him in language which could not possibly apply to anybody except Satan. Therefore, this indicates that at some time or other, Satan had incarnated in the form of these various kings, one king of Babylon and one king of Tyre, or it's just, that's a metaphor because the uh, analogies uh, between Satan and the king of Tyre and the king of Babylon are not exact. So, the, the, in fact, uh, those that's what I consider to be a double metaphor in both those cases. In any case, another of these angels came when the people of Israel were about to cross the Jordan River and take over Palestine. Joshua, making a scouting trip around his camp, saw this armed man standing there in armor and with a sword. And Joshua asked, Are you with us or for the enemy? And the man said, quote, I am the captain of the hosts of Yahweh. Unquote. Let's take Isaiah 14, 12 through 21. And note that these verses could not possibly apply to anyone except Satan himself. We'll quote from the King James Bible. Quote, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Lucifer then said, quote, I'm going to be the ruler over Israel, Yahweh's people. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High, unquote. Yahweh our God then told Lucifer the devil, quote, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world a wilderness, and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? All the kings of the nations, even all of them, lie in glory, every one in his own house. But thou art cast out of thy grave like an abominable branch. And as the raiment of those that are slain thrust through with a sword that go down to the stones of the pit, as a carcass trodden underfoot, thou shalt not be joined with them in burial, because thou hast destroyed thy land and slain thy people. The seed of evildoers shall never be renowned." Unquote. So, well, even in Babylon there were good kings and bad kings, and uh I'm pretty sure all of them, even the one who was assassinated <laughs> by his own sons, uh, 
were were given a burial. So uh, yeah, the the metaphor there uh, is not exact for any king of Babylon or any king of Tyre. So it's it's straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel to say that th- those two verses are only talking about human kings. So let's continue. You could not say this about any of the kings of Babylon. The only one who may possibly have failed to get burial in an elaborate tomb might have been Belshazzar. Belshazzar was nothing but an incompetent drunkard, and nobody ever could say of him that he was the one who shook kingdoms and so on. He didn't even rule Babylon because he was drunk all the time. These passages are speaking of none other than Lucifer. Note how it goes on in Isaiah 14.21, quote, Prepare slaughter for his children for the iniquity of their fathers, that they do not rise, nor possess the land, nor fill the face of the world with cities. The the word translated as children is from the Hebrew word beni, meaning sons. Satan, obviously, was to have children who could be slaughtered, to keep them from multiplying to the point where they would take over and rule the world. Old Testament? Of course it is. Now let's see what the New Testament has to say about it. Well, the fact is that the Jews have always been a very small congregation or population of people. Certainly the direct descendants of the Cain satanic seed line and the progeny through the Canaanites and Edomites have never been a huge number of people. What happened was in 742 AD, a lot of Khazars who had some Edomite blood, certainly from the rabbis that migrated up there to teach the Talmud to the Khazar people. So they got some Edomite blood from them, but they were primarily uh, Ashkenaz descendants of Japheth. And there was a lot of Mongolian blood mixed in there as well. So we we see that... uh, one way or another, the Jews have the satanic bloodline in them, okay, whether it comes from the Mongols or from the Edomites, okay, and the Mongols may actually be a descendant from Mount Hermon as well. But let's continue. Yahweh our God then told Lucifer the devil, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit, okay, Yahshua in the New Testament plainly says in a number of places that the devil has children, not merely followers. Remember the parable of the tares and the wheat. Yahshua spoke of the farmer who sowed good seed in his field, and his enemy came along during the nighttime and sowed these poisonous weeds, the tares among the wheat. When the farmer's servants saw the tares growing among the wheat, they asked him if they should go and pull them up. The farmer said, no, you might pull up some of the wheat with them. Let them grow together until the time of the harvest, and then the reapers will first gather the tares into bundles to be burnt, and then put the wheat in my barn. Okay, so there's two separate harvests, and anybody who expects to be raptured, note that the tares get chosen first. They get bundled. They get reaped first. And that's part of the judgment day, because Mystery Babylon must be destroyed before we can we can be raptured into the kingdom and that's about the only valid usage 
of the word rapture is to be raptured into the kingdom to put on your glory body while you're in, you know, while you're ascending into the kingdom. But actually, there's still an ascension into the kingdom. That's a change in bodily uh, posture, uh, quality of vibration, etc., etc. Because the book of Revelation tells us that the kingdom is coming down right here to earth. But we will change into our glory bodies the type of bodies that Adam and Eve were supposed to have gotten and actually did get for a while while they were alive in the Garden of Eden before they fell. And that's the great restoration. We will be restored to that state. Okay, so let's continue. Then Yahshua explains this parable to his disciples. In Matthew 8, sorry, 13, verses 38 and 39, Yahshua says, quote, The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. The Greek word used here is in the plural is huos, meaning sons. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the children, huos, of the wicked one. Satan has just as true children in the world as does Yahweh. Speaking to the Pharisees, who, as you know, were Jews, Yahshua said in Matthew 12:34, the King James Bible botches this up to an extent that seems to me often to be willful, quote, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. That's the King James translation. The word is not generation at all. A generation is a number of people of not too different in age living at the same time. You, for example, constitute one generation. Yahshua wasn't talking just about the people living then. They weren't any more wicked than the generation that lived before them or the generation that lived after them. What Yahshua said was, as we will paraphrase, it's the Greek word genema, which means children or offspring. Oh, children of vipers. Sure, all of these sentences, uh, sure, all of these centuries you Jews have used the serpent as the emblem or symbol of your ancestor. All right, taking you at your word, you children of serpents, unquote. Right down the line, they were vipers. Yahshua knew who they were. Okay, so Genema should have been translated children, not generation. Although, yeah, it's, it's fudging. The King James fudges the translation. In Matthew 23, verses 29 to 35, it is recorded, quote, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous, and say, If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets, which is exactly what Joe Biden and all the rest of the politicians here in America and around the world do when they put a wreath on Memorial Day, right? But they were the ones who caused the war in the first place. They honor their dead uh, by by dishonoring their graves. Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets, unquote. Here again is the Greek word, huus. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye genema, ye offspring children of vipers. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? That upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zechariah, son of Barachias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Was Yahshua so unjust that he was going to punish these Jews for the murder of Abel? If they weren't the descendants of Cain? <laughs> of course not. 
Yahshua was tracing the children of the serpent, the enchanter Satan, down through the centuries, tracing those who had murdered the righteous, including all the prophets, right down the line. So Yahshua said, quote, Upon you, that, that is this race, these descendants of the serpent, will come the responsibility for all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel, even unto the blood of Zacharias, and I would say unto all of the men and women who have died in war staged by the Jews ever since, and they're still staging wars. And, of course, COVID is the last war. Was Yahshua so unjust that he was going to punish these Jews for the murder of Abel if they weren't the descendants of Cain? Of course not. Throughout the Bible, it records the two seed lines, Yahweh and Lucifer's. The Bible makes no reference as to what your religious point of view may be. It is talking about literal descendants. Romans 18, uh, sorry, Romans 8.16 tells us, quote, The Spirit itself bears witness that we are the children of God, unquote. And of course, he's only speaking about Israelites, folks. He's not speaking about all people, all races. Certainly not the Jews. The word children here, the Greek word technon, means one born, uh, one born a child, not adopted. A technon is a literal offspring, not an adoptee. Nothing is more fallacious than this church doctrine about being adopted uh, children of Yahweh. Read what Paul said on this subject, and nothing in it can justify the mistranslation of that as adoption. Paul states that before the coming of Christ, we were held in bondage under the law. He then says the law, just like an heir under age, strictly governed us. The heir has inherited from his father who has died all the estate, but he is still a minor and cannot take control of it. So we got 2,000 years in between before we can take control of it. Read what Paul said on this subject, and nothing in it can justify the mistranslation as adoption. What Paul was talking about was the coming age of ceremony by which they marked the fact that the heir had now become a full age and his property was put into his hands and to control as, a, as an adult. As I said before, Romans 8.16 tells us, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, technon, one born a child, a literal offspring or heir, not an adoptee. Now, the, the question is... Can an adoptee ever take precedence, precedence over a natural-born child? I don't think so. I wonder if that's the case uh, legally. Now, maybe if you put an adoptee into your will and disown the uh, you know, natural-born child, maybe then. <laughs> but, uh, but obviously, the covenant between us and Yahweh does not, include any adoptees, as Bertrand Compare is correctly pointing out here. No adoptees, folks. You have to be a literal son of Israel, son of Adam, literally. That's the only way. Okay, Romans 9.26 reads, Paul is quoting from Hosea 1.10, And it shall come to pass that in the place where it is said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God, unquote. It is the Greek word huai, meaning sons. We are the born, not adopted children of Yahweh. As to the born, literal children, not adopted or converted, 
children of the devil, read Acts 13, verses 8 through 9. This tells us about a Jew sorcerer, Elimas, who opposed Paul when Paul was trying to make some converts. Quote, Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of sublimity and mischief, thou son of the devil, the same Greek word heos, meaning son, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of Yahweh? The offspring of a cat is another cat, isn't it? The child of a Negro is a Negro, and the child of Yahweh is what? He is not as wise and not as powerful or important as his father, but nevertheless he partakes of the DNA within his limitations of a godly nature. This is what the Bible tells us about, and is, this is exactly why we of Yahweh's people Israel are held to so much greater responsibility than other people. After all, you can't expect a Negro to act like anything but a Negro, but a child of Yahweh is expected to act like one. Let me repeat that. A child of Yahweh is expected to act like one, and we get punished accordingly if we don't. Okay, the child of the devil is what? Another devil, isn't he? (laughs) Yes, John 6, verses 70 through 71 is part of a very important passage which began in this manner. Yahshua asked his disciples who were all gathered together, quote, Whom do men say that I am? And they said, oh, some say you are this prophet or that one who hasn't been reincarnated and come back here. Then then Yahshua said, whom do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up and said, thou art the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Yahshua then said, blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood didn't tell you that fact. It was my father in heaven who told you that. And he said, upon this rock, Petra, the solid bedrock of the earth, I will found my church. Now, is he referring to Peter or to this doctrine? The Petra, the bedrock of Christianity, is that the Father and the Son working together in us, and of course the Holy Spirit as well. Yahshua didn't say he was going to found the church on Simon Peter, Petros, a little stone. In Greek, Petros means a little stone, just barely bigger than a pebble. Was Yahshua going to found his church on a pebble that anybody could kick out from under it? No, Yahshua said, I will found it upon Petra, the solid bedrock of the earth. Remember the example Yahshua gave, the parable wherein he said one man had built his house on the sand, and when the storm came along, the flood washed the sand out from under it, and it collapsed. Another man built his house upon the rock, uh, Petra, bedrock, and the storm beat upon it and couldn't do anything to it because it was founded on a rock, Petra. If any of you have ever been to Yosemite Valley and have seen that enormous cliff, El Capitan, then you have seen a good example of what the Greeks meant by the word Petra. You could build a castle on El Capitan and nothing could blow it off or wash it away. Quote, so upon this fact that you have recognized who I am, the Christ, the Son of the living God, Upon that will I found my church, and the gates of death shall not prevail against it, unquote. Yeah, the bedrock is the doctrine, not uh, not Peter. Uh, okay. 
John 6, 70-71 records, quote, Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? <laughs> the Father made him choose that one. Okay. Uh, he spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Or is he just a figurative son of Simon? For he it was that would betray him. Now, now who is Simon? Is What Simon is this? Is It's not Simon Peter. It's got to be some other Simon. So was Simon an Israelite male? Did he have relations with an Edomite woman? And if he did, then Judas is an Edomite in any case. For he it was that would betray him being one of the, the 12. He's a devil, right? Our Savior was not just being vulgarly abusive by calling people names. He never did that. He denounced these Pharisees. He called them hypocrites, and they were. Yahshua wasn't abusing them with lying epithets. They were hypocrites, and he was accurate. When Yahshua called these Jews children of serpents, they acknowledged the statement was true, for that was the emblem that they used from ancient times. When he said that one of them was a devil, he wasn't being abusive. He was speaking the literal truth. The first epistle of John again states the existence of these two seed lines. John 2.29 tells us, If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that does righteousness is born of him. 1 John 3.2 continues, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Here we have the Greek word technon, meaning born a child, not adopted. Thus, a child born of Yahweh. Let's continue with 1 John 5, 9-10. Quote, Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, John didn't mean that none of us commit any sins at all. If that were the case, we wouldn't have needed the sacrifice of Yahshua on the cross. We all have our sins, but people are divided into two classes. There are the ones who are only sorry because they don't get a chance to sin more, and the others who are sorry because they have sinned only a little. What John means is whoever is born of Yahweh doesn't habitually sin. So John says in John, 1 John 3.10, In this, the children technon of God are manifest, and the children technon of the devil. Remember, John has talked about us as the born technon of Yahweh, not born again, but born literally born of Yahweh, and the others as the born technon of the devil. So again, that word again is also a false translation. I don't think he uh, he, he addresses that issue in, in this article. But uh, very well, very well stated so far. Okay, there were two separate Greek languages in those days. There wasn't one language to write the gospel according to Luke and a different one to write the first epistle of John. Well, we do have that today. We have real Greek and we have church Greek. Church Greek provides different definitions of words than the literal Greek. And that can only lead to confusion, if not outright lies. The people that have churchianity rather than Christianity say, oh, Oh, well, you know it doesn't say that he was a son. It just means that Cain was morally associated with Satan and was bad and a reprobate and so on. There weren't two separate Greek languages in those days. As you well know, different languages have their different idioms. In many languages, one word may have a meaning that can only be expressed by a phrase of several English words.
I think nearly all of you have a King James translation of the Bible, and you know that in most editions of it, some words are printed in italics. Those words in italics are the words which the translators added because they thought it was necessary to give the English the same meaning the Hebrew or Greek had without these added words. Luke chapter 3 traces the genealogy of Yahshua, starting with Yahshua and going all the way back to Adam. Let's start with Luke 3.23, as it is translated in the King James Bible. Quote, And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli, the word son are in italics, showing that they were not in the Greek, and the translators added them, which was the son of Matthew, the son is in italics, which was the son italics of Levi, which was the son italics of Melchi, which was the son italics of Jana, and so forth, or Yana. All the son were in italics, so were added. So there's, it's literally talking about one, uh, it's, it's just using the word of, meaning begotten of. Some people would read Luke 3, 24 as follows. The son of Joseph, who was as big a reprobate as Eli, who was morally no better than Matthew, who was as bad as Levi, etc., etc. Is this the way some people think Luke wrote this? If this is not the meaning of the Greek here in Luke, it is not the meaning of the same Greek phrase in John three twelve. So where it says, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, in Greek, it means he was the son of that wicked one. He was descended of that from that wicked one, no doubt. In Greek, if you say John was of William, in English, it would read John was the son of William. The better English translations recognize this. For example, in the Weymouth translation, the same verse, John 3.12 reads, quote, We are not to resemble Cain, who was a child of the evil one and killed his brother, unquote. Philip's translation reads, quote, We are none of us to have the spirit of Cain who was a son of the devil and murdered his brother, unquote. The New English Bible, a magnificent job of translation, reads, quote, Unlike Cain who was a child of the evil one and murdered his brother, unquote. Although it was only a half-brother, that there is no Hebrew or Greek. There may be a Greek word for half-brother, but I don't think there is one in Hebrew. The verses that people use as proof positive there isn't any basis for the belief that the Jews are the descendants of Cain, therefore from the devil, is John 8, 31-33. Yahshua was talking to the Judeans who were the people we know of as Jews today. It, it isn't simply that Yahshua was behaving like a petulant spoiled child because somebody didn't believe in him, because it says those Judeans who believed in him. Okay, Now Judeans can mean a combination of Judahites and Edomites. Because he almost always addressed mixed multitudes and the scribes always sent agents to spy on him and listen to his words to try to catch him in a contradiction to their law. Okay? So, check, check strong concordance. The word Jew is mistranslated from the word meaning Judean, yet so-called converted children of the devil. Yahshua said to these Judeans, Jews, quote, If you continue in my doctrines indeed, then ye shall be my disciples, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But this is, isn't this exactly what Yahweh said to Cain? If you do well, you will be accepted or acceptable. 
Isn't that exactly what he said to Cain? So now Yahshua is saying the same thing to the children of the devil, <laughs> the children of Cain. What, 4,000 years later? They didn't change, did they? So the Judeans who believed in him were more than likely Judahites who were in the crowd. Okay, because it doesn't distinguish uh, between the Judahites and the Edomites in the audience. But we know that the Pharisees were the Edomites. And there were two or three non-Edomite Pharisees that were part of the pack, but not too many. Okay. And if you continue in my doctrines indeed, then you shall be my disciples, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man, unquote. Anybody that knows their Bible knows that all of Abraham's children had been in bondage at one time or another. Here is evidence that these people weren't descendants of Abraham. Who is it who could say he was descended from Abraham and had never been in bondage to any man? Well, okay. I don't know if the Ishmaelites were in bondage. They may have been. I don't know if the Keturahites were in bondage, but uh, certainly those Israel, if they were claiming to be Israelites, which they were also claiming to be Israel, they couldn't say that because the Israelites were in bondage numerous times, numerous times, at least 10 times to different, different tribes throughout our history. So when they said that, they, they basically admitted that they're not Israelites. Well, they were children of Abraham in the sense that Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac and Rebekah begot both Jacob and Esau. So they could claim through Esau to have the blood of Abraham, but that's it. That's the only connection they have to Abraham. If these Jews were of any of the 12 tribes of Israel at all, they would have been in bondage the first time in Egypt. If they belonged to the ten-tribe northerly kingdom of Israel, they would have been bondage in the second time in Assyria. If they belonged to the two-tribe southern kingdom of Judah, they would have been in bondage a second time in Babylon. Yet the Jews admitted that they never had been in bondage to any man, thus demonstrating they weren't of Israel or Judah. Absolutely correct. Well stated, Pastor Compare. It's always worth it to... Uh, Check out different authors on this on this subject. Okay, uh, uh, seven of none says Edomites were also in bondage. Well, okay, they were in tribute. They were in tribute. The Edomites were in tribute to the Israelites, but they were free to come and go to their homes. But uh, the nation had to pay tribute. They weren't in bondage where the, their lives depended upon their masters like ours in, did in Egypt. Okay, So uh, it, uh, it's a fine line of difference. The tribute versus slavery. That was In Egypt it was literal chattel slavery. Literal chattel slavery where they could literally take your life w- without uh, fear of any punishment. And that's why Moses got angry with one of the Egyptians because he had uh, killed an Israelite. So tribute, the Israelites put nations under tribute, and but they were able to live the, rest, the whole, whole of their lives, really, 
among their own kind, doing what they wanted to do, but they had to pay tribute to Israel as a as a nation. Okay, so uh, yeah, that's the distinction. So let's continue. All right, so uh, where were we? We only have about seven minutes left. Okay, yeah. Who could say that 1,800 years earlier that Abraham was one of his ancestors, Esau? Well, Esau could say that. Esau could say that Abraham was his ancestor. He really, he could say that. And he may have had uh, two, uh, two chromosomes, <laughs> two chromosomes from Abraham, uh, maybe, maybe four from Rebekah and Isaac, maybe, maybe. Remember, Esau and Jacob were twin brothers, born with presumably the same bloodline. However, Esau married two Canaanite women in violation of Yahweh's law. Esau couldn't leave anything but, but mongrelized satanic descendants. That's correct. All of his descendants would be mongrels. Because among these Hittite Canaanites, there, wasn't, there was the satanic bloodline. When the Bible records Esau selling his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of lentil stew... This isn't what he lost. This isn't when he lost his birthright. It, that's just when he sold it. That to seal the deal. This was only a formal ceremony by which he gave up any claim claim to it. Esau lost the birthright when he did the thing that rendered it impossible for him to continue as the head of the clan. Okay, yeah. Plus, you know, but he he sold it. He formally, and but it's, the Bible says he despised. His birthright, which he had no intention of valuing it at all. Esau's descendants from then on would be mongrelized. Recognizing he was already out of the line for leadership, Esau sold his inheritance for a bowl of stew. The Bible records that Esau and his two Canaanite wives moved down to Mount Seir, a very rugged mountain range southeast of the Dead Sea. Mount Seir is exactly where some of these people lived who were descendants of the fallen angels. Yeah, all the way from uh, the, the mountain in the north that uh, the angels are, are said to have fallen, uh, Mount Hermon. From Mount Hermon to Mount uh, Seir, that is the territory of the Canaanites, which the Israelites were supposed to take over. They did primarily, but not fully, they, they failed to follow Yahweh's instructions to either exterminate them completely or exterminate plus disband so they, they could never reform again. So, yeah, so from Mount Esau to Mount, uh, I'm sorry, from Mount Hermon to Mount Seir is the territory of the fallen ones, the descendants of the fallen angels, Absolutely. Read Genesis chapter 6. Among the people who had the bloodline of the fallen angels were, were these Horites. They were the cave dwellers who were known as Horim. Suppose a white man married two negresses here and then moved to the interior of the Congo. For the next 18 centuries, his descendants lived there with nobody that they could marry except the negroes around them. Of course, the last trace of white blood would have vanished. Uh, maybe one or two chromosomes. Nevertheless, after 18 centuries, they could still say they had a white ancestor. <laughs> Abraham was our father. These weren't Negroes. They were satanic Canaanites, but the principle is the same. 
These Jews t- talking with Yahshua had identified themselves as Edomite Jews. Genesis 36, 20 through 30 lists Esau's descendants. Listed are all of the various chieftains among the family of Seir, the Horite satanic line including his daughter Timnah. Genesis 36.12 records that Timnah was a concubine of Esau, to Esau's son Eliphaz and bore him a son Amalek. What a pestilential lot the whole tribe of Amalek was. They all behaved according to their satanic bloodline. You will find a good deal about this in Exodus 17 verses 8-16 through 16, and Numbers 20, 14-21. This same satanic conduct on the part of the Edomites was repeated as the opportunity arose. Remember, when the people of Israel came out of Egypt in the Exodus, they wanted to march up to Palestine. They were then attacked by the Edomites. The Israelites were driven back, so they had to detour around, down through the wilderness in the Sinai Peninsula. When the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar captured Jerusalem, they looted and burned the city and massacred a lot of the inhabitants. Then the Edomites came rushing in to help in the massacre and plunder. The whole book of Obadiah is just one continuous condemnation of the Edomites for the way they acted. This book also predicted their eventual slaughter and punishment for what they did. Obadiah, verse 10, records, quote, For thy violence against thy brother, Jacob, shame cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off for ever. Oh man, I just can't wait. <laughs> in, in a, the only good world is a world without Jews. Eventually, we're going to have a world without Jews, folks. Let's all pray for that day. Father Yahweh, give us a world without Jews. Let's continue with only less than two minutes left. When the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar captured Jerusalem, they looted and burned the city and massacred a lot of the inhabitants. Okay, sorry. I just read that at the bottom of my page here. Okay. When the small remnant of uh, Judah came back from the Babylonian captivity, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah record that 42,600 or something like that came back. It lists them by their families, and when you run those down, you find slightly over 8,000 of these people were not from any tribe of Israel Judah. Only 34,000 of the 42,000 that came back were Israelites of the tribes of Judah, Benjamin, and a few Levites among them. Okay, so uh, you get the point. Actually, uh, this is, I think I'm going to continue this next week with uh, more commentary from others, from other authors on these two seed lines. Uh, excellent commentary from Bertrand Compare, and uh, Compare and Swift are, the, as, as far as I know, the originators of the two seed line doctrine, and uh, it, it stands true, every word of it. All right, thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh, pass the ammunition. See you all next time. Bye-bye. Free people will never remain free if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. The Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James.
All right. Uh, thanks for listening, uh, Eurofolk Radio. And I'm still on Telegram, so if there's any questions or comments here on Telegram, uh, you can raise your uh, your symbol, and I can recognize you. We have Mary, uh, Copley, Goy Avenger, <laughs> Rob, Revelation 2.9, and me. <laughs> okay. Is a, uh, am I two people at once? Okay. So... And I don't know if that's the whole list because there may be more. But if anybody in the chat in the Telegram chat room has a question or comment, uh, feel free to join in. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to find out if the people in uh, the Eurofolk chat room uh, can hear because I have not turned off the stream. The stream is still on. I just ended the show at the usual time. So if there's any questions or comments uh, from uh, Copley, Mary, Ruddy Daniel. Okay, Swamp Fox says he can hear me. I'm wondering if uh, the Eurofolk radio people can hear people on Telegram. So if if one of you fine uh, ladies and gents in the Telegram, uh, let's see if I can unmute somebody. Revelation 2.9 is uh, a, a whole Telegram channel, so I don't know. But uh, here, Mary. Okay. I don't know if Mary's still with us. Her name is listed there. And uh, so, all right. So we have, yeah, I'm trying to get one of them to talk. <laughs> I'm, I'm going, maybe I should bribe to whoever to, talks. Uh, I'll give you ten bucks, <laughs> yeah, or, or, or a gold doubloon. There you go, a golden doubloon. Okay, so there's Rob, Goy Avenger, Ruddy Daniel, Mary Copley, and Revelation two nine. I don't know if that's an individual or an entire, you know, a Telegram group. I'm not sure if that's a group or a person. So. Uh, but uh, so far, none of them are uh, voting to uh, ask a question or make a comment. Uh, so where's Lily? Lily's usually in the chat room, and she's not here today. And uh, she usually speaks up. Okay. So I guess, it's, uh, oh, I could actually videotape this as well. Hmm. I haven't tried that yet. Okay. So anyway, so thanks. Uh, maybe... Um, Maybe they just, uh, I think they might have left when I said the show is over. <laughs> so from now on, uh, I'll just make a statement that uh, I'm going to leave Telegram on after the, the restoration hour and to take questions and, and comments. So, okay, okay so the, apparently they have all left, and uh, but their symbols and names are still up. So anyway, okay, folks. Anyway, we'll, we'll continue this next Saturday. And I will be doing that show from my trailer. I'm still going to be in Illinois for the balance of this month. But I'm going to be trailer trash starting Wednesday and uh, streamlining my operations drastically. (laughs) Drastically. So, but looking forward to my new life as trailer trash in Harrison, Arkansas. And... uh, going to reestablish the ministry down there that I had for many years when David and Marie 
had moved up from Texas, and we were having meetings in Harrison and Branson. So, uh, but I haven't had that many in the last few years. So I'm hoping to start that all up again. Okay, so uh, nobody's volunteering, so I guess we'll just have to end it here. Thanks for listening, everybody. Praise Yahweh, pass the ammunition. See you all next time. Bye bye.